This week on the 25th episode of Geek Explain, we'll be debuting a brand new segment where I'll be fantasy booking my versions of popular geek properties. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the debut of Pitch It. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we geek explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is a big one. Uh, we have officially hit 25 episodes. Big deal. Um, I, when I started this, I knew that I wanted to try and get weekly episodes out as often as possible, and um, I didn't know if i was gonna make it out to 25 episodes but here we are um i should probably address why we uh missed an episode last week i've uh it, last week was a big week for me um i missed the episode last week because a lot of things were going on in my life uh i left one of my jobs on uh on this past week I also had orientation for a Warner Brothers project. Um, I'm working with their uh, Halloween experience horror made here uh, throughout the entire um, throughout the entire month of October, and I had my uh, my orientation for them on Saturday, uh, so I had to get ready for that. I also also on Saturday I had a pilot read through i got casted in an independent pilot you hear my uh, my neighbors flying down the road on their motorbikes um <laughs> uh i'm all over the place but uh yeah i uh, had my first table read for a kick-ass pilot that i'm gonna be working on and i also this past weekend recorded my first uh commercial voiceover demo uh, for those of you who don't know, I am a voiceover artist. I am currently in the process of putting together my first reel so that hopefully I can start pitching that out to agents and I can start uh, self-submitting for more projects that I uh, haven't really been put in the running for just simply because I don't have a voiceover reel, so this should open a lot of doors for me. So a lot of stuff, like I said, happened last week, and so uh, this kind of slipped by me, but I did my notes did the full uh research for this and you are going to be psyched to hear i think that uh to make up for last week this week you will be getting two episodes uh episode one is this episode right here episode the big geek 25 uh, and we're also getting the next episode which will be our uh next segment of the kingdom hearts series that's going to be focusing on the game 300 358 days over two that uh that title bothers me so much but um 
but it's a wonderful game and I am looking forward to doing that. But that's next episode. This episode is going to be debuting a new segment that I've been really, really excited for for a while, but I wanted to wait until it was like a big deal uh, episode to debut it and that is Pitch It. So this, uh, this concept for this segment is uh, something I've been working on for a long time and honestly something that I've been doing just with friends, with uh, coworkers for years. And that's uh, the concept is basically taking a property that I love throughout all of geek culture, whether that be a comic book, whether that be a video game, and pitching my version of it. Uh, I'm that's basically like the idea behind this uh the concept is basically uh i'll be pitching a film a tv show i don't know if you guys can hear that but it's uh it's it's trash day so apologies for uh for that but uh i'm gonna be pitching a film i'm gonna be pitching a tv show i could be pitching a cartoon a video game series so the world is our oyster when it comes to this uh these will be out of continuity unless otherwise specified sometimes we uh will be looking at ideas that exist inside of a like a continuity that's already been established like the mcu or the dceu even though that's not really a thing anymore um i'll be talking about uh my casting my fan casting for it i'll be going through the plot um Typically, uh, they'll be open for sequels, so in case uh, you guys like an idea of something that I've pitched, we can go on later on down the line and make a sequel for it. Uh, and one of the big parts of this is the voting aspect. I put a poll up last week on what you guys wanted to see. I had uh, Spider-Man, Batman, and an Iron Fist uh, cartoon. I've been got ideas for all three uh the poll was neck and neck between spider-man and batman and as the uh poll closed as the final hour struck batman and spider-man were tied so uh i decided with all the hype that's going on with the game and um big spider properties that are going to be coming out soon with venom and then later on with into the spider-verse in december uh, i decided let's do spider-man uh for those of you who uh, have been with me for a while, who have uh, talked to me about certain stuff, I've pitched multiple versions of Spider-Man, and I didn't want to just kind of piggyback off of one that I had uh, come up with before. Now, there are aspects of previous uh, pitches that I've made for this character, but this one I wanted to come at with kind of a fresh... Uh, fresh set of eyes so it took me a little while i put everything together and i'm going to share that with you guys so um and feel free to let me know uh any other projects you think would be cool for me to pitch or um i've already gotten a uh a request from a loyal listener and good friend of the podcast who wants to uh pitch his own property so look forward to that uh soon so I guess we'll just go ahead and jump into it. Uh, I'll probably go through uh, the cast, my fan casting for this film, and then we will jump into the plot a little bit after that. So here we go. 
So when it comes to the cast, I, it was really important to me to get uh, fresh faces that could, were not just um, recognizable, but also had something to prove, like something that maybe they're known for something and want to kind of up their status, uh, characters that are instantly recognizable that you can kind of identify with these char- with these actors. So I really wanted to um, find actors that I thought embodied what these characters could be and what they will be in this uh, hypothetical universe. So I'll start from the top, Peter Parker, our lead. He is, at this point, just graduating out of high school, or uh, excuse me, has recently graduated out of high school, so he's a little bit older. He's not quite... Uh, Spider-Man PS4, who's been doing it for eight years, but he's also not Tom Holland, who's still kind of a rookie. So he's right in that middle spot, and I wanted to get someone who gave that, um, who could play off that smarmy kind of uh, Spider-Man humor, but also have that Peter Parker heart. And the actor I chose for this is Joe Keery. Uh, Joe Keery was uh, kind of put on the map playing Steve Harrington in Stranger Things as the bully so you know he has that uh, sarcastic wit angle that he used on our heroes for most of season one Uh, I really like him as Spider-Man I think he's got that kind of weird he I'm trying to think of how to uh, how to word this he's not conventionally attractive which I think really helps for Spider-Man because up until he got these spider powers, he was a dork, he was a loser, and getting these spider powers doesn't make him instantly just um, Brad Pitt, you know? So I wanted somebody who was in that kind of middle ground of someone who could uh, be attractive as that leading man, you know, bring in that, uh, that audience as someone who can they can look at and say, that guy's a lead, that guy's a star. And I think Joe Keery knocks it out of the park. Aunt May, I uh, Aunt May doesn't have a huge role in this, but I wanted to get someone who I thought would be just a good fit for the character. Um, I wanted to strike the balance between the Aunt May from the Raimi films and the Aunt May from Homecoming, because that's kind of placed right where we are in his timeline so i wanted someone who had the motherly very um uh doting instincts of the raimi films and kind of couple that with the uh kind of younger hip uh aspects of marisa tomei's on may so for this i chose julianne moore uh julianne moore is kind of known for playing these complex female characters who have lived through trauma and are learning to live with it and i think that perfectly exemplifies who aunt may is she has dealt with a lot in her life uh with everything going on with peter's parents with uncle ben and she's learning to be okay with it and dealing with uh the kind of the through line in her adult life peter parker um getting ready to move out and getting ready to jump into the world so uh she is going to get 
a lot to do later on down the line. In this film, I wanted to bring in someone who we can come back to and who uh, has that immediate warmth that is always there to comfort Peter when he needs it. Uh, we also will be introduced to J. Jonah Jameson, played by John C. McGinley. Uh, you don't recognize that name immediately. Uh, John C. McGinley was is famous for playing Dr. Cox on Scrubs. Uh, for me, I wanted somebody who could be that kind of um, that Dick character without seeming like a seeming like an actor who is trying to imitate um, the Raimi universe. I wanted him to be able to put his own stamp on it, whether he was loud and shouty or whether he is uh, quiet and more snide. And I think John C. McGinley can do both really, really well. Uh, we'll also be meeting Ned Leeds, who will be played by Thomas Brody Sangster. Uh, he is a uh, he's an actor who I've seen bounce around a lot. Uh, most recently, he has been appearing in the Maze Runner series where uh, he is, I would say, arguably the heart of that movie trilogy, even though uh, we can debate all day on the, uh, <laughs> on the quality of the trilogy and the storytelling. It's another uh, young adult story, but I thought him as an actor really stands out in that cast, and when I wanted someone to play Ned Leeds, I came up with him. Uh, we will also be introduced to L. Thompson Lincoln, uh, also known as Tombstone, and he is going to be played by Idris Elba. Uh, this character is someone that I've wanted to see done in a live-action uh, medium for a really long time. I think, uh, especially if you go back and you watch the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, which is one of my favorite cartoons of all time, uh, there's a lot to there's a lot of ground you can cover with that character. He checks a lot of boxes, and he's someone who I think can strike an imposing figure, and he's someone who I could see appearing in multiple films in this franchise. Uh, and Idris Elba is just incredible as an actor. Um, he really got the short end of the stick as Heimdall in the Thor films, and I want to give him... I just I want to give him something that's a little... Uh, little meteor something that he can really sink his teeth into and um i just i love the idea of Idris Elba as a villain so uh he will be playing uh l thompson lincoln and finally we will be getting uh an appearance from dennis dumphy uh that name will make a little bit more uh will make a little bit more sense later as you come to get to the bottom of his relevance in the story uh, and he will be played by michael kudlitz uh, he is known for a lot of things he's been a in a lot of things like uh, he was in band of brothers he was in the walking dead uh he was he's made an appearance in i want to say the first season of ballers like he's all over the place and he is an actor who i would love to see do more work and I really think that he could do really well in this role. So that is my core cast. Um, if there are characters who you think uh, could be there or should be there, um, once you get a handle on the story, once you listen to it all the way through, I think you'll see why certain characters were brought in and certain characters were, were omitted. So now that we have the cast set, uh, I'm gonna build the world for you a little bit. I'm gonna give you our setting. Um, 
Peter, as I said before, uh, has just graduated and is looking for a job in Manhattan. He's looking for, to get out of Queens, out of being a small-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and kind of moving his, uh, his life to the big city. Peter, at this point, has been Spider-Man for four years, uh, has mostly dealt with small-time crooks, uh, bank robbers, um, small-time, small-time, like, regular crime that he's really dealt with in his area. He hasn't ventured uh, a whole lot outside of Queens or into the main island of New York, but he's made little pieces here and there. There are no other superheroes he's come into contact with at this point. Um, he has only fought one supervillain. Uh, pretty sure once we get into the story that'll become clear on who it is uh, but he's only had one supervillain this whole time otherwise he has been fighting regular crooks um, his best friend uh, is Harry Osborn uh, they don't really talk much anymore uh, following graduation and everything they had a falling out um, looking through my notes here um, Pretty much, uh, Spider-Man has been at this for a little while. He's not a seasoned veteran, but he is ready to get on a bigger stage. And um, really has not cut his teeth yet on supervillains. He's only had one recurring longtime villain in his four years as Spider-Man so far. And that relationship ended after something called The Incident. So now that the stage is set, we've got everything that we need, uh, we will go ahead and jump into the plot. So we open up on a familiar image, the Marvel Studios logo. Um, everybody knows that everybody loves it, but it's quiet. Kind of similar to the opening to Infinity War. It's very quiet, very almost somber sounding. And the first sound that we hear is a police radio. Police radio is talking about, you know, there's been an incident on the George Washington Bridge and we cut to a wide shot of the George Washington Bridge. Nighttime, rain is falling, multiple uh, police helicopters are making their way around one portion of the bridge. We see some cars have been overturned in that area and uh, the police chatter on the radio is talking about um, some kind of battle that's happened here. Uh, traffic is being directed away. There are uh, very few injured, but there have been two casualties and there have been two bodies that are found. Um, and as we pull away from this scene, we see at the other end, not too far away, but near the other side of the George Washington Bridge is a figure holding on to the uh, one of the spires on the bridge holding onto it tight and though it's shadowed we you know again the rain is falling we see that this is Peter Peter in his tattered spider-man costume tears streaming down his face something's happened here something terrible and from here we cut to one year later one year later we have it's contrasted it's bright daytime during new york we see that peter is on a train we see a train moving its way from queens to manhattan and peter steps out into grand central station uh walking through it's very um 
uh, very light, very almost... This is Peter's first real foray into the main island when it comes to New York. He's mostly stayed in Queens. He's mostly kind of stayed in his own neighborhood. And as he steps out into the wider New York, we get a beautiful shot of the city just from his perspective, looking up, seeing how tall the buildings are. And he looks off to his right and he sees the Daily Bugle. Daily Bugle is right there just shining as this uh really as the last great new york newspaper and he as he's looking at this uh at the daily bugle he gets a call from aunt may aunt may is asking him you know did you get off the train okay is everything good and peter lets her know yes yes i'm good everything's cool uh, my interview starts in you know 15 minutes uh, I'll call you and let you know what happens. And at that exact moment, two cop cars just fly by him, sirens blaring in the opposite direction of the Daily Bugle. And nearby, there's an officer at a hot dog cart, and we hear on his radio that, you know, there's a strange man with uh, high-tech weaponry robbing a bank nearby, and we come to a classic Peter conundrum. Peter hangs up the call with May, and he looks to the Daily Bugle on his right, he looks down to his left where the cop cars had gone, and he has to make a choice here. This is a classic Peter Parker uh, problem. Big, uh, <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the idea that Peter has to decide which parts of his life are going to uh, contrast and which are going to conflict so after a lot of uh inner struggle with it he doesn't know which way he wants to go he finally says to himself 15 minutes i can do 15 minutes i can make this happen in 15 minutes and he runs off down towards where the uh police cars had gone takes a left down an alleyway throws his backpack webs it to a wall unbuttons his shirt revealing the spider logo and next shot we get is him sailing out from the alleyway full spider-man costume just web swinging through the air he's jumping he's going we have a great kick-ass uh song just kind of getting you hyped getting you ready and uh something i want to note about uh peter parker's spider-man costume in this is that again he's just out of high school so he's not what you would call a master seamstress so his uh, his costume, while I think looking really nice, uh, has been cut up, torn so many times during his high school years, and he doesn't have a job. He hasn't had a job yet, so he's resorted to putting patches on his uh, Spidey suit to kind of, it almost gives it a, a homemade uh, look to it. So just something I thought would be uh, useful here just because it's a cool idea. But uh, so we see him swinging through Manhattan. It's a beautiful shot, multiple shots. It's just a sequence of him web swinging, making his way through to this location. And he gets there just as the other cop cars pull up to this bank. And wouldn't you know it, walking out of the bank is the Shocker. Now this isn't a uh, super high-tech Shocker. This is a Shocker who is still relatively small time but he has constructed two 
uh, gauntlets that send out minor shock waves whenever they are um, are used. So Spidey gives his classic quips to Shocker. They have a quick action sequence to open up the film. He is the Spidey that we all know and love, acrobatics, slinging webs, slinging quips. And after a bombastic sequence, he finally webs up the Shocker and before he's able to kind of bask in the in a job well done, he realizes, oh no, I'm late, I'm late. And he again sails off we cut to the daily bugle elevator opening peter running out you know trying to get himself you know presentable looking he runs in and we meet j jonah jameson he says you know i'm here i'm here i'm here i'm here for the uh reporter job i'm interviewing here and jonah says you were late you missed it sorry and Peter, you know, tells him, no, 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 I need this job. I really need this job. Um, I, I'm, I'm starting college soon. I need to have something to pay. And Jonah's like, well, you know, that's that's what happens when you show up late to a job. Somebody else comes and takes it. And we get our introduction to Ned Leeds. Ned, who immediately greets Peter with warmth and is uh, kind of what I would consider, again, uh, Peter's contemporary. They're very similar, and Ned basically says, wait, wait, hold on, Jonah, didn't you say that you needed a photographer as well? You're looking for a junior photographer to put on your put on your staff since you fired the last two? And Jonah's like, well, yeah, I did. Do you, do you know how to do you know how to take pictures? And Peter immediately reaches into his bag, pulls out his camera, and he says, you know, that's how I got my start in journalism. This is what I do. I, I can be your guy. I can be your guy. So Jonah says, fine, you get one shot, you're with Ned. So Ned introduces himself, you know, Peter tells him, you know, thank you, and Ned says, we gotta look out for each other, right? So very quickly after that, they get their first story, and they are sent to an art gallery opening uh, in Midtown. And once they get there, they find that this art gallery is being opened by the Lincoln Foundation, and the keynote speaker at this Art gallery opening is the founder and the head of the Lincoln Foundation, L. Thompson Lincoln. And it's here that, you know, Peter's taking pictures. He's asking, you know, I don't really know much about this guy. So Ned fills him in. Uh, L. Thompson Lincoln is a philanthropist and very well-off businessman. Uh, he arrived to New York and is kind of a self-made millionaire. And on the flip side... There's a lot of rumors, a lot of allegations that this shining example of philanthropy is just a mask, just something that he puts on as a show, and that the way he's really acquired all of his money and all of his influence is by being a crime boss. There have been multiple reports of someone called The Big Man running the organized crime in uh, Midtown, in Manhattan, and L. Thompson Lincoln has been linked to him multiple times but nothing's been proven so after ned kind of gives peter the rundown this is what's going on this is what's going on with him who he is we wrap up pretty much the establishing of these characters and all the characters that we're going to need to know going forward so Pretty soon after this, uh, May calls Peter again. Peter answers the phone, and May's like, you know, how'd it go? Did you get the job? And Peter basically says, 
yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I got the job. I'm at the Bugle. Um, just not the job that he was interviewing for. But yeah, I totally got the job. Everything's great. I'm uh, I'm gonna be heading home soon. And at this point, you know, it's late in the day. It's starting to turn into night. Peter's heading back to to the train station, and it's here that the call is interrupted yet again by a shootout nearby. And we find that. Peter hangs up the phone. Our neighbor's dog is, uh, is very excited about Spider-Man. It's her, it's her favorite superhero. <laughs> Man. It's going on for a while. I don't know if I'm going to leave this in. I might cut this. Yikes. Okay. Oh, man. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. So, um... So, Peter, in his Spider-Man costume, happens upon the shootout, and it's shown that there are some, you know, classic thugs having a shootout with uh, police... And Spidey swings in, webs up the bad guys, and takes one with him, asking, you know, what's going on? Who are you guys? And the guy's like, oh, you're the you're the spider kid. You're the spider boy from Queens. We've heard about you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, yeah, and I've, I haven't heard about you guys, so you need to spill. And he tells him that he's, he's with the big man. He's with the big man. You can't touch me. I'm, uh... I'm untouchable, like, all of us under the big man's employ will be out within 24 hours. And Peter's like, all right, well, you just need to tell me where the big man is then. Guy won't cough it up, so Peter's like, okay. So he webs up the guy's eyes. And next we cut to what's seemingly uh, the guy hanging off of a building over, uh, over the streets below. We can hear cars passing under him, the whole deal. And Peter, or Spider-Man is like, you want to tell me who the big man is? We can settle this. I won't drop you. The guy's like, you know, you would never drop me. You're just a kid. And Peter's like, okay, well, you know, the the webbing I've been working on for a long time, but it's it dissolves within 60 seconds. So either you can tell me what you know, or I'll just leave you here and you can splat. And the guy's like, you're bluffing, you're bluffing. And he drops a little bit. Not not a lot, but just enough to shake him up. He's like screaming. He's like, okay, 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 blah blah blah. This is his address. You know, th- this is where we get our jobs. He's gonna he's gonna kill me for giving him up. And he's like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Tonight I'm gonna be taking care of the big man. So this is a classic example of Peter underestimating his opponents and going before making up a plan. This is not again. This is not a seasoned veteran peter parker he's only been at this for three to four years so he still is prone to these uh emotional and kind of brash decision making so he leaves the web drops the guy screams and he hits the sidewalk turns out that peter was just dangling him off of a light post not injured the police round him up with his buddies and we cut over to Peter swinging through towards the address. He finds that 
he's able to get through. There's security there who he webs up, makes his way into the main office where he finds L. Thompson Lincoln, who's sitting behind his desk. He's very calm, not concerned at all about the Spider-Man making his way into the office. Spidey's basically like, you know, this is it, man. This is, you're done. I have had a very productive day today, and I'm going to finish that off with taking you in. So he says, you're the big man, you're Mr. Lincoln, whatever, it doesn't matter, you're going to jail tonight. And Lincoln is just like, you know, I've, I've been known by a lot of names. You bring up a good point. I'd probably need to get my branding together. But uh, my favorite is Tombstone. And he stands up and immediately just leaps over his desk, hits Peter. Peter was completely unprepared for how fast and how strong this guy is. Peter tries to hit, punch him back. It's almost like uh, Tombstone's skin is made of concrete. He can't injure him. He can't hurt him. And Tombstone is just smacking him around. So he finally picks up Peter after, you know, just clobbering him. He tells him, you know, you should have stayed in Queens. You're in my territory. You're in the big leagues now, and you're not ready for this. This is what this is like. And you're going to have to learn very quickly about how the world works because outbursts like this are not going to be tolerated. So Peter is just completely outclassed. He wasn't prepared. Maybe if he had taken the time to plan to get in there, catch him by surprise, he would have been able to put up a better fight. But here, Peter has been overpowered, just completely, completely outdone. And, you know, Lincoln is holding him up. He's like, you know, we'll be in touch. We'll We'll talk soon. And he chucks him through the window of his office. Peter is sailing down near unconscious, catches himself on a web, and is able to escape and make his way home. The next shot we get is him arriving back at Aunt May's house, just just in tears. Like he pulls his mask off and his, you know, his lip is busted, he's bruised, he's just like tears in his eyes, and we see that. This is a Peter Parker who isn't used to losing. He isn't used to being kicked around. He's used to just going into a place and his natural ability allows him to overcome any kind of obstacle. And we see that he's having a panic attack because he's never been outclassed like this. Well, maybe once before. And the memory of that just overtakes him and it completely just shuts him down he's having an anxiety attack and we see him just kind of curl up in the field position in the corner of his room we get a shot of we get a wide shot of his room of him just sitting in his pitch black bedroom and that is where we end act one now act two opens up on a montage and it's basically uh peter is getting used to fighting crime in the city we see him stopping small time crimes but anytime that he comes upon something to do with Tombstone, whether it's any of the big man's gangs or something that has to do around his kind of quote-unquote territory, we see him turn away. He's been affected by his confrontation with the big man and is noticeably shaken by it, so he avoids getting involved with any of that. The next, uh, the montage ends, and the next 
scene rolls on to another opening of a uh, public forum, probably like a library or something like that. Ned, Ned and Peter are back there covering it. It's another building being opened up by the uh, by the Lincoln Foundation, and Lincoln is up there giving another speech. He's talking about how you know the youth of today have to be um, have to be guided to reach the same heights that our generation has talking about how he wants to help usher in a new age for the youth of new york and as he's showing off this building and everything doing the speech the screen is suddenly hijacked the big viewing screen that's you know giving the powerpoint presentation on how you know wonderful this library is going to be is hijacked and we suddenly get the visage of a masked man talking about how L. Thompson Lincoln is not the man you think he is. The injustices brought upon New York by men of his ilk will be wiped away along with anything that represents them. And as he is, you know, this masked man on the screen is making this speech, Peter is just like, just like, what the, what, what, what the heck, what the heck is this? What's going on? And the masked man identifies himself as the Demolition Man. Now, the Demolition Man is a long-running uh, Marvel Comics character, as an aside. But uh, the Demolition Man tells him that no matter what he says, L. Thompson Link Lincoln is a bad man, and men like him, and structures built like by men like him should be completely wiped and since at this point new york with a long history of crime and uh, mob influence the only possible solution to this is a scorched earth policy and that's when the building just explodes the building is demolished the building is destroyed and we get this very and it's it's oh, it's very touchy because it's um, I mean it's a building blowing up in New York so uh, we get this kind of tonal shift here and there's this it's this very quiet very somber sequence uh, not a whole lot of sound going through uh, no real music it's just Peter losing Ned in the crowd and everyone's just rushing trying to get away from this building and Peter's trying to help people like get out of the rubble and everything uh, Lincoln is taken away by his personal security the whole deal so this is the introduction to the main villain of this film following this with everything going on um, Jonah is J. Jonah Jameson is just ecstatic in a really like bad way like he's like this is the greatest story that we've had in a long time you know this boring this boring ass uh you know library opening it becomes front page news because of this guy the demolition man and so uh peter decides to take it on upon himself to do some research on what this demolition man is because there was something familiar about this he's heard that heard that title before so he starts doing his research and he finds that this uh this demolition man also 
affectionately called D-Man back in back in the day, was a uh, vigilante 30 years ago. After doing his research, he finds out this whole history, um, and he tries to rope Ned into it, but Ned's like, I, I don't want any part of this. This is like... This whole destruction of the building was a big deal, and I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be part of this. Like, I'll help you get, you know, get what you need to get out of this story, but I don't want to be a part of it. So, again, Peter does his research. He finds out that uh, Demolition Man was a vigilante 30 years ago that uh, took a stance against the mob, and he, at the time, was doing a lot of the same stuff that peter is right now when it comes to him against lincoln at that time uh d-man was the prime vigilante kind of waging a war on crime against the main mob boss at the time silvermane who was essentially what tombstone is now he is he was the head of the crime in midtown in man really all of manhattan all of new york and d-man was a one-man war on crime against this guy and we find out that through his research uh tombstone l thompson lincoln who back then was known as uh lonnie t was just a low time like a small time crook who was trying to make his way into the uh into the criminal underworld of New York, and so made it his mission to take down D-Man to establish his place. And so what ended up happening was uh, Lonnie T exposed D-Man, just exposed his identity, and it completely ended up in the collapse of uh, Demolition Man's entire thing. He was ostracized, he was hunted down by... Um, multiple criminal organizations and he went into hiding so after doing this research after finding out you know all of this you know doing interviews um, with people who were around at that point all this stuff uh, Peter decides to do he does his due diligence he looks through all different kinds of records and he finds out that um this guy who used to be demolition man still lives in new york it's very hush hush he went into uh protective services he got his name changed the whole deal but his original name was dennis dumphy and so peter goes to this uh this kind of shady place <laughs> kind of a, a shady neighborhood to this uh kind of near the outskirts of uh or near the edges of uh, central park where there is this kind of rundown looking uh not like a cabin but like a small townhouse and he wants ned to come with him because he's like you know this is this is a big story ned this is like this could be our big break this could be us jumping to you know the front page of the daily bugle and so ned initially comes with him but once they get to the uh to the townhouse ned loses his nerve he's like i don't want to go in there this is i have a really bad feeling about this so he leaves but pete is determined he wants 
to get this story. He wants to find out what this guy's connection is with the new Demolition Man, or if he just picked up the um, his old equipment and his old uh, war on crime and has renewed it. So he goes and he's ready to go to the house. He gets another call from Aunt May talking about, you know, hope everything's going well, you know, this, this, and that. He says, you know, just so you know, um, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to give you your space, but uh, have you thought of getting back into, you know, the dating game, the love life? And of course, this is, you know, doting Aunt May, trying to, you know, look out for Peter. Peter's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. This is like a, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not in a headspace where I can do that yet. And Aunt May is like, okay, okay, I know, I know, I know. I just, I have a neighbor and she has a niece, so I think you would really like. She has a quote-unquote great personality, and I think you two would really hit it off. And Peter's immediately just like, oh, great, she has a great personality, wonderful. But, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not... I'm not there yet. And eventually, uh, May pushes him further, and he's like, you know what, fine, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Like, whatever, whatever. He's trying to, like, he's trying to get her off the phone so he can, like, go do this. And so he's like, fine, fine, cool, whatever. I, you know, next Friday, next Friday sounds great. So, gets off the phone, he goes into Dumphy's house. Doors, for some reason, is unlocked. He walks in there and he's seeing, you know, like family photos. He's seeing a picture of uh, Dumphy and his wife on the wall. And he's just like, what, ha like, what happened here? Like, what happened to you? And as he makes his way into the, um, into his living room, he finds a television screen. Very similar to the, um to the quality and the same brand and everything as the screen that was used at the uh, library opening that Demolition Man hijacked. And that's when a timer suddenly turns on on the screen. Peter immediately, you know, spider sense. He runs out of the building. Townhouse explodes. And as he's, like, kind of recovering, you know, it's that, like, white noise sound when you're right next to an explosion or something like really loud that happens he like he's like trying to get himself back to um back to his you know um he's trying to recover his equilibrium and he suddenly like he turns around and he sees another or he basically he hears another bomb go off late like farther down in midtown so the next set next set piece the big big set piece is we find that this explosion was at the top of a construction site classic giant crane on top of a building starting to fall and we get this amazing action set piece segment where peter who is still trying to gather his gather himself and regain his uh his uh sense of balance everything that has to web up this crane save people from underneath it moving through the moving parts falling through the construction and everything he finally is able to uh get the crane mostly intact but pieces broken off and webbed sides of buildings the whole deal just as a second bomb goes off at a at another building you know a few blocks away Peter 
you know, swings, has no time to take a breath, swings over and finds that this bomb went off at this place called Horizon Labs, and Peter has to head into this building and, like, get people out. He's able to swing through this building, able to save the few scientists that are within it, gets them outside, and he just is about near collapse. Like, he just falls to his knees. He is off balance he's dry heaving he's like he's having another panic attack and he's just he isn't able to really i guess like figure out what's going on he doesn't know why this is happening how this is happening and it's then that one of the uh police cars that is pulled up to check out what has happened he hears on the radio that uh l thompson lincoln has been abducted from his uh from his building so peter is just like he's overwhelmed he you know web swings away and he's just he's like i need a breather i need to figure this out i need to figure out what's going on i don't have any time and that is where we end act two now, Act 3 opens up with Peter arriving back to the Daily Bugle, and Daily Bugle is in crisis mode. Everyone's running, everything's shouting, trying to get um, just reports from every aspect of what's going on. You know, the abduction, the multiple bombings, like, we don't know what's happening here. And so Peter, you know, tries to get some kind of... Uh, get some kind of direction where he needs to go what's going on he can't find ned ned is just gone um someone says that he went on a uh he went on a uh to check out a lead we don't know what's going on peter goes to ned's desk he's you know trying to get some kind of uh some kind of clue as to where he went because he's worried about his buddy you know ned could have been at any of these um any of these bombing locations and he wants to make sure he's okay and as he's looking through ned's desk he sees a photo next to his uh computer monitor and something clicks we cut to this abandoned warehouse uh near the outs or uh near the financial district and as peter moves in we get the sense of foreboding. We get the sense of uh, something's going to happen here. So Spidey swings in. He starts calling out D-Man, Demolition Man. Like where you? Where are you? Let's do this. Let's let's you know finish things. You you could have hurt a lot of people. Like I can't let you continue on like this. And that's when D-Man steps out and his full. Uh, fully armored up mask on and he's like you know I, I know you kidnapped lincoln blah 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 we don't know i don't know how you did this but i'm gonna you know i have to take you in you can't continue on because you you are hurting people and so d-man brings out an unconscious tombstone and he brings out another man another uh kidnapped person just with a uh, bag over their head and you know, Spidey's just trying to talk him down, like, you can't do this, like, you, this isn't you, and D-Man says, you know, this is who I've always been, this is what I've always been, and that's when he pulls the bag off of his second uh, captive, and we find that it's Dennis Dumphy, the elder man who was formerly D-Man, has been kidnapped by this character, and 
that is when D-Man reveals himself as Ned Leeds. Ned asks him, you know, how did you how did you know this? How did you know who I was? And Peter or Spidey rather says, you know, we get a little cut to of the photo on uh, Ned's desk which was of him and his mom and the woman in the photo is the same woman that was in the photo of Dennis Dumphy and his wife in uh, Dumphy's home. So Peter tells him, you know, you don't need to do this. You don't need to, you don't have anything to prove. And that's when Ned reveals that, you know, he was the son of Dumphy, that Tombstone outing his father as the vigilante forced them into witness protection, which drove uh, Dennis and his wife away from each other uh, emotionally, and that he's been just messed up about it ever since and that he wants revenge on tombstone so he purchased the old equipment of his father and has been using it to get to revenge on l thompson lincoln we see that uh or we hear news vans starting to pull up outside and you know ned gave an anonymous gave an anonymous tip that you know D-Man had Tombstone there, and he's planning on using the news coverage to expose Tombstone for who he is, and he then gives the relevance of this small abandoned warehouse. This was, quote-unquote, D-Man's lair. This was where uh, Dumphy started his uh, crime-fighting career. This was his home base of operations. And when he was exposed by Tombstone, this is where he was attacked by multiple gangs and they ended his career. So in a quick sequence, because, uh, I mean, Ned isn't a skilled martial artist. He's basically just a mad bomber. Uh, Spidey is able to disarm him and neutralize him but Ned reveals that the entire building has been rigged just in case. And so we get this final sequence of Spider-Man just zipping around the building, chucking the bombs out into the air, wepping them up so that when they explode, the blast radius is much smaller, escaping through the windows of the building with Ned, with Dumphy, and with Tombstone, and finally gets them out, the building itself had a bomb that he was unfortunately unable to get to, and the building crumbles behind them, finally ending the uh, the legacy of Demolition Man. Ned is arrested, he is taken into custody, and, and Spider-Man looks at this kid who is very much like him, who in maybe another life he could have been you know a young kid a smart kid who was so shaped by tragedy that he decided to take the law into his own hands and he he wants to he wants to get through to him he wants to talk to him but there's something that's nagging at him there's something that he needs an explanation for so he talks to ned and he says you know you said you purchased d-man's equipment how did you what do you mean you purchased his equipment and Ned, who is, you know, nearly just inconsolable after his life was ruined, after his plan was uh, thwarted, and watching uh, Thompson Link, L. Thompson Lincoln getting away, essentially, with everything that he's done, he is just 
unconsolable. He won't answer him. He is just shouting at him. He's taken away, and that's when we get Dennis Dumphy basically uh, telling Spider-Man, I might have the answer to that. And he tells him that he, after his, after he had ended his career years and years ago, um, a company approached him wanting to get whatever was left of his uh of his crime fighting gear his equipment and everything Uh, apparently this company was wanting was in the business of collecting old uh superhero memorabilia when it comes to uh equipment um different paraphernalia that kind of thing and spider-man asks him you know what what was this company called and Dennis Dumphy, you know, he couldn't give him any names of the guys who took him, but he did know the name. He did catch the name on a uh, on a business card that they gave him. The company was called King's Row. So Spidey, you know, to himself says, "That's that's something I'm gonna have to look into for sure." Uh, following this, you know, Tombstone is being taken away by his personal security, and he gives a look back to Spider-Man you know, looking at him and gives him a smile and he says, you know, we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. And he's taken away. Following this, we cut to a week later and Peter is standing at a, uh, standing in a, in a, uh, memorial, uh, place, a a graveyard. And he's talking to, uh, talking to Uncle Ben's grave. We get a shot showing, uh, Benjamin Parker's uh, tombstone, the whole thing, and he's basically he's talking to Ben, and he's saying, you know, things have been changing a lot recently, um, but I am I am going to do this. I'm going to figure this out. I'm kind of going learning as I go, but I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to move out from Queens to the big stage. I'm ready to be the hero that you always knew I could be. Um, He resolves to adapt to the times, to adapt to this bigger stage, basically saying, you know, the bigger the neighborhood, the greater the responsibility. And he reaffirms his promise to Uncle Ben that he will use his great power responsibly and that he is going to be the best spider-man that he can be uh there's a little bit of silence and he kind of looks looks a little bit further down the rows and he says you know i'm i don't think i'm ready ready to see her yet i'm not ready to talk to her yet at that moment he gets another call from may and he you know he tells uncle ben that he's i I think you'd be happy to know that she's doing okay so he answers the phone and he's like hey man what's going on and she's like you know Hey, I just wanted to remind you, your date starts in, you know, 30 minutes. Are you are you coming home soon? And Peter just flustered. He's like, oh, no. Oh, God. So he, like, says goodbye to Ben, hangs on the phone, runs, and we get a nice little uh, final, say, uh, final sequence of him swinging through the city, going from, uh, <laughs> going from where this, from this uh, graveyard to back to uh aunt may's house and as he's swinging through manhattan we pass by a billboard from the daily bugle showing that they ran a story about uh the headline saying spider-man hero or menace 
and the uh, shot is of him basically there's a picture of him rescuing uh, Lincoln and it you know we see on the text that Lincoln has been uh, linked to multiple different crime organizations and you know why did Spider-Man save him is he Lincoln's personal security so we're starting that relationship of uh, Jameson versus Spider-Man and so this whole sequence he makes it back to May's house he's you know putting his best clothes on as sloppily as uh as sloppily as he can and uh he gets downstairs just in time for a knock at the door and he walks up he tells himself he's like you know great personality great personality um i'm gonna i'm gonna give this a shot okay and he opens the door and standing there in front of him is mary jane watson with the classic line face it tiger you just hit the jackpot and credits and just so you guys know, the uh, the actress playing Mary Jane Watson would be one Catherine McNamara. Um, I didn't want to cast her immediately or talk about her in the initial casting earlier, just to kind of save that reveal for the end. But yeah, so that is that is the film. There is a post credit scene because of course there is. Uh, my post credit scene would be uh, set inside of this workshop, this like really dingy, uh, just dark dirty kind of workshop and we are introduced to the tinkerer who is working on different uh you know different tech stuff different suits and he seems to be talking to himself basically saying how you know d-man was while initially profitable profitable for them you know they're going to have to turn to their other ips but they've got plenty in the bank and that they are never short on buyers uh, he there's a bit of silence and he says no 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 the uh, this the spider-man won't be a problem this this uh this character is a bug who will be squashed quickly and without mercy and he says yes yes i understand as always you can rely on me mr kingsley and then you see that he was actually on a bluetooth call he hangs up and we cut to this beach this open beach from the shot of the back of some fancy looking lawn chair with a little uh, side table and uh, an umbrella and you see whoever's sitting in that chair who's obscured uh, puts the phone down picks up his little martini or whatever and we see on his middle finger is this big just gaudy looking ring with a k on it he pulls the uh martini to his lips and we cut away so uh roger kingsley is the the big bad for what would be i guess this trilogy so um yeah so that's that's that i uh oh man where are we at we're just over an hour so uh if you have stayed all the way till here thank you so much thank you for listening to uh, my pitch Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I had a blast doing it, uh, coming up with the casting and everything. Um, if I have it finished, because I I've been flowing with uh, cr- the creative juices lately, uh, I might post up on our uh, on our Twitter the kind of the concept art for Spider-Man in this uh, in this film. Uh, along with a little uh, sketch mock-up of Joe Keery as Peter Parker. So 
uh, check that out. Um, and that will be it for this pitch. I hope you enjoyed our first edition of Pitch It. Uh, let me know uh, what you thought of this. If you have another property that you would like me to pitch, if you have your own properties you would like to pitch, uh, just let me know. Feel free to reach out to me at uh, on Twitter, through email. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Pod. That's at Pod. Uh, you can also send me emails because I'm an old man and I still read emails. You can send them to geeksplained at gmail.com. And that will do it for this debut edition of Pitch It. All right, so I'm going to try and uh, speed through uh, this this week in comics for uh, today's episode. So we went a little long with the pitch. Um, hope you enjoyed it, though. So uh, first up... So this week I have six comics that I think you should definitely check out. Uh, first one for this week is Batman number 56, written by Tom King with art by Tony S. Daniel. Uh, this is continuing off of the story from uh, Batman number 55, which uh, had a pretty shocking ending. So uh, I'll just go ahead and jump into the synopsis for this one. The Dark Knight's looking to drop both the hammer and sickle on the KG Beast, whose rampage across Gotham City takes a toll on Nightwing when he's injured in the fray. Blaming himself for his ward's fate, Batman gets grimmer than usual and vows to take the Russian assassin down like the Berlin Wall. Is even Gotham City ready for that much violence? The streets will run red like borscht if the Dark Knight gets his way against his Soviet scourge. Scourge. Whatever. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, the synopsis is a little cheesy, but uh, I... I'm looking forward to seeing this. Uh, Tom King has come under fire a lot recently, both for like the Batman Catwoman wedding, uh, for Heroes in Crisis last week. So um, I have faith. I was a little shaken a bit by uh, Heroes in Crisis. That messed me up a little bit. But um, I have faith in Tom King's storytelling. I'm hoping that this continues... Uh, his overarching 100-issue plot, and we will see what happens. But jumping off of that, uh, my number two this week is Nightwing number 50, which is relatively like a direct sequel from the events of uh, Batman number 55. Uh, it's written by Ben Percy with art by Chris Mooneyham and Travis Moore. Uh, let's jump into the synopsis. Night Terrors begins here. The big issue number 50 kicks off an epic four-part story that brings together critical moments of fear and doubt from the past and the present. A young Dick Grayson hopes to escape the shadow of the bat and earn the title of Nightwing, while an older Dick Grayson must deal with a blow he did not see coming. A common enemy unites the timelines, the Scarecrow, as you've never seen him before. This story goes deep into the mythology and nightmarish developments of Dr. Jonathan Crane. So it seems like this issue is going to be kind of a uh, a character study on both Nightwing and Scarecrow. Uh, for those of you who don't know, spoilers for Batman number 55, but uh, at the very end of the issue, Nightwing was shot in the head by KG Beast. So this is going to be uh, his road to recovery is what seems like this four-part story is going to be kind of evaluating his life. Uh, solicits have been saying that he's 
gonna have kind of like an amnesia storyline but uh we will see i'm interested i kind of dropped off the book after um the initial team left but this might bring me back so we'll we'll see we'll check it out and speaking of heroes in crisis and tom king uh my next choice is uh green arrow number 45 uh, written by Julie Benson, with art by Javi Fernandez, Alex Maleev, and Shauna Benson. So, um, this is interesting. Uh, the I, I don't want to spoil um, Heroes in Crisis. You should definitely check it out. Um, but this is kind of a tie-in to that first issue, so uh, let's jump into it. In this Heroes in Crisis tie-in, Oliver Queen is forced to take a hard look at himself and evaluate his methods after he fails one too many times trying to do the right thing. It's a dark, depressing stroll down memory lane for the Emerald Archer, as Oliver must come to grips with how he's hurt the people around him. This issue guest stars members of the Justice League and the Titans, but are they there to console Ollie or condemn him? So, um, this is the, uh, the, the, uh, creative team behind this sent out a tweet basically saying, like, if you have, like, feelings and thoughts towards Heroes in Crisis number one, like, read this issue. This is going to be a big deal. So, I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings about, uh, Heroes in Crisis number one. I'm definitely going to check this out, and, uh, I think you should too. And for our final DC book this week, it's going to be Justice League number nine, uh, written by Scott Snyder with art by uh, George Jimenez. Uh, they've been absolutely kicking ass on this book, and um, it's only I think it's only going to get better. So here's the synopsis. The road to drowned Earth begins. Superman and Batman can't agree on how to put back the moon, you know, the one that went missing in issue number one. On the other hand, Wonder Woman and Aquaman have faith in each other and working together on a new addition to the Hall of Justice. Martian Manhunter takes Hawkgirl under his wing to test out the limits of her recently broken wing, and Flash and Green Lantern get up to some hijinks in the Hall's cafeteria. Can you say superfood fight? So, um, this looks like a very, very much like a day-in-the-life kind of issue, uh, with everybody kind of, uh, separating off into two-person teams um i'm interested i you know superman and batman is one of my favorite combinations um wonder woman and aquaman have a lot in common so i'm interested to see their uh their interactions with each other uh flash and green lantern you can't go wrong with even if it is barry and john stewart which is not a common combination uh the one i'm interested in is uh, martian manhunter and hot girl because they're coming from two very different places especially this new hot girl uh is very different from the one that we know but uh she's starting to slowly at least through scott snyder's writings go towards the uh the animated version of her which is probably the most loved version of her so again we're we're heading towards the next big arc for them so i'm a big fan of day in the life uh issues and this looks like it's gonna be a good one and hopping over to marvel for our final two books this week uh this week is very dc heavy um there are two spider-man books uh <laughs> i i kind of think it's ironic that with the uh with the pitch it episode we are uh focused on spider-man we're getting two i think very interesting spider books so uh, we'll jump into the first one which is what if spider-man by uh with 
writing by Jerry Conway and art by Diego, oh my god, Olortegui, I'm so sorry, I'm pronouncing that wrong, and uh, Patrick Zercher. So the uh, synopsis is as following. What if Peter Parker wasn't the one bitten by the radioactive spider? What if the person who got bit was someone who didn't live by the mantra of with great power comes great responsibility? What if that person was an egotistical bully who was only interested in taking care of himself? What if Flash Thompson became Spider-Man? So, um, this is, I think it's really interesting because we know how the story goes with uh, Flash Thompson getting spider-like powers later on in his life when he, uh, after he has become a war veteran, has had both of his legs amputated when he becomes Agent Venom. But this is a very different story to that because this is Flash Thompson before he makes all of those uh, character developments. This is Flash Thompson as he is in... Um, the original stories, the original Ditko era of Spider-Man, where he is just a total, complete asshole. So um, I'm really interested in seeing what they do with this. I think it's just a one-off, a one-shot. So it's a good little um, what-if story that I think is uh, is going to be, I, I think, a crowd pleaser. I think this is going to be the sleeper hit for this week. And finally, we are coming to a book that I have been waiting for for a very, very long time. Uh, this is the Superior Octopus number one. Uh, for those for those of you who know me, you know that Superior Spider-Man is my favorite version of the character. So I am all for this. <laughs> uh, it's going to be written by Christos Gage with art by Mike Hawthorne and Travis Charest. And we will jump into the synopsis. Doc Octobers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, that's so dumb. That's so dumb, but I love it. Uh, Doc October starts here in this spider geddon tie-in. Doc Ock has set up shop as San Francisco's protector, but you won't believe his methods. Some of Otto Octavius's new superhero strategies may make Spider-Man regret letting him go free, but the good doctor swears that he's the superior octopus. Christos Gage and Mike Hawthorne will change the way you look at superhero comics. Like I said, I'm super excited for this. Um, they've been teasing a uh, Doc Ock book for a little while now, and I am, with the end of uh, Dan Slott's run, he kind of placed Doc Ock on the West Coast with the Horizon Labs that's over there. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what kind of hijinks he gets up to it's the classic uh, villain learning to be a hero kind of story and uh this going into spider geddon with uh also released last week spider geddon issue number zero we see superior spider-man so i don't know if that's him as he is in this issue kind of going into the book or if this is you know a past version of superior spider-man or a future version of superior spider-man i don't know but I'm um, hoping to get some answers here, and I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited for this. <laughs> I'm really excited. So, um, yeah, those are my five books for this week. To uh, recap, we have Batman number 56, Nightwing number 50, Justice League number 9, Green Arrow number 45, What If Spider-Man number 1, and Superior Octopus number 1. So that is it for this week in comics. Again, thank you so much. Uh, 
we are looking at 25 episodes here and i am so stoked and so thankful for you guys for listening and continuing to uh support this podcast the only reason that uh this podcast stays up and running is because you guys keep listening and you guys keep asking for more so uh thank you for 25 episodes here is to 25 more and look forward to uh thursday where we will be uh dropping the next episode of our kingdom Hearts series again you heard right there are two episodes to make up for the last or the lack of episodes last week so uh again thank you for listening this has been uh one of my favorite episodes just to put together and i am really excited for the next episode on kingdom hearts so for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening and so much for listening for 25 episodes. And we will see you next time.